You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Creedence Clearwater Revival, Cosmos Factory. In the room, I have Rob, Hello, sir. Ben, Hello. and Adam. Yes. Cosmos Factory is the fifth studio album by the American rock band Creedence Clearwater Revival, released on July 16, 1970 on Fantasy Records. The producer is John Fogarty, and the genre is roots rock, country rock, blues rock, southern rock, and swamp rock. And from the book, Ross Fortune... Creedence Clearwater Revival released six essential albums in just two and a half years, all bashed out, quick, nothing fancy, just pure and catchy pop-styled rock and roll. This was their fifth, and it topped the U.S. album charts for nine consecutive weeks. It is quintessential Creedence, a glorious distillation of their distinct southern-style mix of Chulin Swamp Boogie and prime blistering pop. They avoided the druggy, psychedelic excess of many of their San Francisco peers, the album includes both sides of their three recent hit singles to which they added covers of the songs made famous by Elvis Presley, Roy Orbison, and Bo Diddley, plus a, a stubbornly gruesome, sorry, stubbornly groovesome extended jam of I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Elsewhere, Traveling Band tips its hat to Little Richard while the Vietnam was the darker source of inspiration for Who Will Stop the Rain and Run Through the Jungle. John Fogarty, the man with the grittiest, growliest voice in rock and roll, once again dominates. He writes, he produces, and he sings, as well as plays guitar, saxophone, and keyboards. Even though they disbanded and egos flared after this, this is one of their last uh, major successes. All right, what do we think of Cosmos Factory? I think that if you were to dump Oogie Boogie, or whatever, what's it called? Oobie Doobie. Oobie Doobie. Oobie Doobie. uh, Grapevine, throw in... uh, Fortunate Son, uh, Green River, and uh, there's one more I'm missing. There's already a lot of You know what that's called? That's called CCR Chronicle. Exactly. And which is what we should have been doing as opposed to three CCR records, one of them which is very, very good, and that's this one. If if we were to do, if it could be redone, and it can't. I mean, this is the the only CCR record that deserves to be in this book. You're saying instead of six albums in two years... Maybe less better albums. I think that would have been a good. Start, I'd say yes. less, just less covers. I mean, I will say the covers are the weakest link. I mean, yeah. like this album's a hit machine. It's like fucking when crazy. you hear the good songs, you're just like, fuck this song too, and you're like, it's it's really impressive. But then like like Ubi Dubi, I I know, they didn't write that right. Is that it's Roy Orbison? Yeah, it's fucking dumb. Like it's and their really version dumb. is dumb. <laughs> yeah, like, it's CCR like, is a guitar rock band. Yet yeah, this. He's he's mimicking the solo from the original Ubi Doobie. The original one's clean and tight, and then like Fogarty's a great guitar player, but the solo in this one's you can't do it worse There's than the guy before you. That song has nothing to offer. No, <laughs> it's just it, like it, it's it, so it was annoying. Like at best, yeah, it, at best, it's it, starkly 
worse than everything else by such a massive degree that then there was one other song that I felt like was really like thrown together just like two minute filler track um, I, I don't remember it was what like the, one of the rockers near the end there's just like pentatonic you know huh. like 12 bar blues where it was just like my baby left me probably yeah, that's it yeah. that's it and it was like Another if cover. you took yeah, but why are those there? Because like such a they, strong album. Otherwise. They love to do covers, and I think it's one of those road. It's like one oh, of those yeah. we're on the road every day of the night, and so we get bored playing our own songs. Yeah. And what's easier than just saying, "Well, we all like this yeah. song, and we can jam it out for a couple more minutes or whatever." So a couple in there. more minutes, my ass. It, that fucking grapevine yeah. was ten minutes yeah, long. Son long. of a bitch. Yeah. I was talking to <laughs> Sheila about it, and she was like, "I kind of like the grapevine cover," and I was like, "You've only heard the radio edit. Yeah. This is baloney. It's not much happens during those extended Nothing minutes at, all. at the end. It's not." Particularly I, savvy. I'm a fan of the album cut of Grapevine. Oh. Yeah, I like it. I like Hot it. take. <laughs> I, I think it's well done. I just don't think it's, like, really necessary. I think it's not necessary. Did it elevate it never loses the me, source though. material? I think, I, I, think, I think it does something. I think it does something with it, definitely. Yeah. It takes it to something the, the rock medium. elevation, you jerk. Uh, I know it's a really covered song, and they, they, they have a memorable spin on it, um, though I do not enjoy that he says hoid. <laughs> that bugs me every time. But, uh, uh, You're right. Hoid. He it's, always, just, it's, it's like... He's, 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 he does it intentionally, and it's, it's really gross. It, it sounds like he's doing like a weird impression impression of like a black person or something, and I'm like... Mm. He's trying to do I, a bayou. Like he's trying to do yeah, a bayou. It's just, yeah. Who knows what he's doing? Like, yeah, I'm sure that's it. It's the bayou It thing. just comes yeah. off so yeah. bad. Yeah. And, like, like Big Wheel keep on toining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. And it's it just... Also, it not sticks my, out like not a my sore jam. thumb. <laughs> yeah. All that aside, great record. Oh yeah, this is a great record. Yeah, let's. I think it's just stunning when you have stuff that's so strong, like Run Through the Jungle, or like you know, I mean, uh, Long as I See the Light, and like those are just. There's so many good songs on this record that it's just weird that there's these dumb ones. <laughs> like, Dude, let's yeah. talk about the singles from this record, though. CCR was release, releasing double A sides. And they released three of them oh for this record. That's oh. the, so yeah. they released three double A sides for this record. It was now explain what you mean by double A side. There was not a B side. Both sides were intended for radio play. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I get it. And both sides and both sides like charted well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they released like right now we're listening to Run Through the Jungle. Uh, the other side of this was uh, Up Around the Bend, yeah. uh, which reached number four on the singles chart. Wow. Uh, uh, they had uh, Who'll Stop the Rain was backed with Traveling Band. And then... Uh, <laughs> Two different styles. Uh, Looking Out My Back Door was backed with As Long As I See the Light. I mean, that's a heck of and a... And that was a number two Billboard uh, single. So they had a softy and a more of an upbeat song. Yeah, they, they mixed it up. Just, just yeah, it makes them. sense. On each one of those, it makes sense. So they're giving yeah. them one, like, here's a hit. Choose which style you want right now. It's kind of smart. It's yeah. also smart because they... They could have sent it to, you know, like, country radio stations. They could have sent it to, like, more rock-oriented. Right, right. And mm-hmm. either one, you have a choice between, yeah. Yeah, Roots. Well, how many songs ones, are on this know. record? Period. Eleven. Eleven? So, <laughs> that, that, means, <laughs> that, that, that means they couldn't even do an A-side, B-side yeah, for all the singles. There songs. Yeah, they have their B-sides for all the singles. Cosmo's <laughs> Hit Factory. No yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. 
no, seriously, I, I think that's the thing that was stunning to me is because obviously I think everybody, at least our age, had Chronicle at some point. Mm-hmm. Like that was very popular, um, at least when I was like getting into music as a middle schooler. And I certainly, you know, listened the heck out of that on CD, you know, and it was always playing on the radio and that kind of thing. But, That's right. Uh, they get a lot of radio play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tons mm-hmm. of radio play. And I agree. And uh, they, they always have, as far as yeah. I know. Deservedly. Yeah. But I think what's so crazy is just, like, I didn't understand. You know, I don't think I ever went and looked, like, how many records they have. How long were they a band, you know? Um, and I was surprised to see so many of them on this record. You know, it was like, this is a lot of good tracks. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, even though I opened a little negative, I mean... I, I fucking love the good like, stuff. With records like this, we, we you need to focus on the flaws because there's just so much good material. Well, it's just you know? shocking. It's shocking and to focus on the flaws, but yeah, we got to talk, talk about, about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's just shocking, like that you, that you can put out so many tracks that are just like really powerful songs that are just no brainers, and then just be like, yeah, throw this one on there too. Who cares? Like well, that was my complaint with the last the other two records that came before this yeah. is like they had three like three good songs yeah. per record, personal opinion, and the rest of it was just kind of filler. But it and, gets weirder the more great songs there are. Well, exactly, <laughs> which is like why because they had two more albums to record this year is <laughs> why. That's just that's what's stunning. Yeah, I wonder if they did save them. That'd be an interesting question is like did you have songs that were ready to go, or the band even had rehearsed maybe that you were like, eh, "Let's make sure that we put this one on the next one." I let's think like, so. Because if you, I can't even imagine theory, what it's like yeah. to have, to be knowing that you're going to make another album like four months later or whatever. Yeah, I think they point. had a contract and they were like, they were the the workhorse band, and I I respect the hell out of them for practicing, perfecting, you know what they're what they're doing. And I think that they had those extra songs and they said, you know what, let's go ahead and just do some covers. We'll pad it, like fill that out Mm -hmm. and then save the hiss. Still have six singles. I guess, guess, yeah, if you put it like that, the question is, like, who cares if there's a stupid ass cover on there, but everything else is yeah, amazing. Especially, I I don't love love Ubi Doobie, but the rest of it's like, it's fucking listenable. It might be filler, but... It's in the vein of the music that I like. Right. And, you know. I, but I guess, like, yeah, I mean, what more can you ask, I yeah. guess? It's like, especially it's like, we're looking at it through this, you know, yeah. fi- you know 50-year filter here. Yeah. And um, I think it's wild to to think and be in that position where it's like, we got so many songs that you just know. So many songs that are A-side considered. Like, when was the last time an album came out that that, you know, people cared about six of the songs or something, you know? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's so rare. Yeah. I mean, I think Ariana Grande just had some crazy record for, like, the most big singles off an album. But that's not... Maybe Drake. But He's got, like, 20 songs on the Billboard charts right now, right? <laughs> maybe, but... I, it, that's an exaggeration, but, that's but also it's, like, it's double digits. That's such a different genre, too. It's, like, you know, it's so mainstream, and it's yeah. so, like, you know, it's not really coming out of, like, a culture really it's like songs for the deaf maybe i don't know i mean they weren't big singles nah, i mean yeah. like i like i mean like a major act like hmm. but it's a, yeah i'm just saying it's been a long time i mean, I mean like if you're talking major act i mean you could say like lady gaga or one of those others maybe but like she i think like, she has like two or three singles no she had like white stripes eight singles 
It was those across albums though. Nah, maybe. Yeah, if, but again, that's a pop artist. Like, yeah, I it's feel a like pop it's, artist. I feel yeah. like it's different than it's when, pop it's, music. when it's like, yeah. What if uh, Credence's contract with, fan- with Fantasy was uh, a still productive one album a year? Like, if they could condense yeah. their three albums a year to one album a year, they, they'd be unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, they, they already were unstoppable. That's though. true. I think that's the yeah. other question is it's like, uh, except for the fact that John Fogarty couldn't get along with anybody, it seems Including like. his own blood. Have you talked? Yeah. Or, or, I, I've got here as you guys were starting, but then I, I made it. We were still the intro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, about the thing about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know about this word? Like ahead, John, John Fogarty's playing uh, the show, and uh, his brother, who was in the band, uh, he forbids him from playing with them on stage. So he sits, his brother sits and watches the induction performance from the audience. Wasn't it like all three of the other guys? Like Creedence was being inducted and it was like John Fogarty and the studio guns he's playing with now while the rest of Creedence like hung out. It's just like, I I know that that relationship was sour, but it's like, it's your brother, man. (laughs) Yeah. Just... Like you can't do two song performance at the at the idea that's supposed to be like your legacy moment. You're just gonna write him out of that. Yeah. Okay, cool, John. Do you think his brother was like, "Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play." <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Ah, man, yeah. Cool track. It's so, so weird that and it went so sour. So, what was that the brings up? So, like, so, so, Oh, uh, it's about between him and his brother. Yeah, it's about money. It's about rights. It was about writing. Creedence Clearwater Revival is the third iteration of bands of these same four dudes. Uh, In the early '60s, they were called the Blue Velvets. Then they got to be called the problematically named Gollywogs, and then they became Creedence, and they got their success with Creedence. John Fogerty was the frontman, obviously for Creedence. Blue Velvets and Gollywogs were fronted by John's older brother, or, or uh, yeah, John's older brother, Tom Fogarty. So Tom's going into this band, like, all of a sudden they're successful, and the one thing that's different is he's not fronting it anymore. Yeah. And I think there's always, like, a weird mojo between them, you know? Still, though, it's yeah. like, like, you did good, guys. <laughs> like Also, John Fogarty's, like, a historic ass. Yeah. Yeah. But great songwriter. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I do not let someone being an asshole get in the way of me enjoying their music. I listen to Mellencamp. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I listen to Gary Glitter, so I'm right there oh. with you. That's oh, more gosh. than being an asshole, but I do listen to Gary Glitter as well. <laughs> yeah. I think I mentioned this on an earlier episode, but uh, they sold millions of records and never had a number one hit. Never a number one hit? They had number never twos. N- they had... Oh my sc- God, they I scored just assumed they had like five, ten. 
Five number two hits. Okay, well. And they're, uh, it's the most of any act without a number one. How many, does it, do you have the number, how many top ten hits? No, but I'm sure that's... Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to see that number. 20, Because that's what I was trying yeah. to say is, like, I, I guess I just assume that they went to number one because they're so ubiquitous now. Like, and they have been since I was a boy, you know, and, it, it, and before, I guess. It's, like, almost... It almost makes a certain amount of sense because it's like the workhorse band never. Uh, there's always some you know trendy band or something, something that else, is yeah. like on top, mm-hmm. and they're they're sitting there working you know day in day out to do this sort of meat and potatoes kind of rock and roll, and it's it makes perfect sense that they never achieve that like yeah flash in the pan like oh number one this yeah. So this album. Uh, Cosmos Factory. Cosmo was the nickname of drummer Doug Clifford. Doug Cosmo Clifford. And on the cover, he's the one on the bike. Uh, story was uh, Fogarty had a good feeling that the album was gonna be was gonna do pretty well, uh, <laughs> and he didn't feel like uh, getting all like the press interviews and stuff. We we've heard the story before with other bands, uh, but uh, so they call it Cosmos Factory, and 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 then Doug Clifford is prominently featured on the cover with everyone else kind of sitting in the background behind him, but to divert attention a little bit, yeah, but. Uh, the factory of Cosmos Factory was the place that they rehearsed and Doug Clifford started referring to it as the factory because he felt like he was pulling a grueling eight hour shift every day with their with their practice regime that Fogarty kept him to. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I believe it, eight hours. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was literally eight well, hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was it was I it, mean it was I, a grind, I read up though. on it. Yeah. yeah. It, it was like a full time. They weren't just getting in there and messing around. It, he he kept it pretty strict. Yeah. I think that's also kind of what uh, led to some of the animosity, too, is I'm sure... It regimented. Seemed like, yeah, he was so regimented, and he was like... A, it was kind of like... I feel like it was his, his way or the highway. He was very talented, but it was kind of like... He was also their manager. Yeah. John, John Fogarty was? He managed and the, and the yeah. producer, you know, like... Did it all. Essentially, yeah. he said, "We're not doing any of this hippie bullshit. We're doing this, this rock, straight ahead rock and roll." And, and for that, I applaud him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me about the end of this uh, grapevine. <laughs> yeah, they stretch. You tell me if San Francisco kind of snuck. No, in. no, because no. Th- this song he does. It's an extended solo, but it is structured the entire way through. It is through composed. Like it still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how do we feel about the album? Love it. Recommend it. It's the only one you need. Okay. Yeah. If if you only buy one Credence record by Chronicle, obviously. But if you're <laughs> if you're against greatest hits collections, which like also Some I applaud that. Uh, Cosmos Factory is the closest you're going to get to a Credence greatest hits. Yep. It's a banger. Yeah. Very yeah. positive. Yeah, I agree. Cosmos is. Uh, you could argue Green River Cosmos yeah. is their best album. I would say. But man, this one probably has the most, maybe the most recognizable singles. Mm-hmm. I would say. Also, this is really where the, I feel like they came into sort of the pinnacle of, of credence, like the the sound of that, uh, the like harmonica, that sax, all that stuff sort of like resonated perfectly. They experimented with the treble and some different guitars, but I think this is really where they uh, uh, just sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, next time we'll be talking about Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and other assorted love songs. Oh, boy. All right, thanks, y'all.